Okay, well, great to be with you today. Um, as many of you know, uh, we weren't really supposed to be here. Um, our plans were for us to be uh, in the USA at the moment, visiting with family, with friends, with people who support us in ministry. Um, but in God's providence, uh, we haven't been able to get a visa for one of our children, so uh, we've cancelled our tickets for now, and now we just wait and see uh, what, what God has for us. But it is my joy to open God's Word with you, and uh, especially because this actually gives me an opportunity to preach one more sermon in this series on justification, and to try and focus in a little bit more specifically on some of the blessings of this doctrine, why this doctrine is so special, um, what practical difference it really should make for our day-to-day lives. You'll remember that we started off by showing from Romans 1, uh, Romans 1 through 3, that absolutely everybody needs justification. God is a holy and righteous judge who must, must punish all sin. And everyone who has ever lived except our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will stand before him and be found guilty and deserving of his wrath and punishment. We talked then in our next sermon about how justification works, how God gives us a righteousness that is an alien righteousness, we said, meaning that it is a righteousness from outside of us that doesn't come from us, that we have not produced. God gives us the complete and perfect righteousness that Jesus earned from his life of perfect obedience here on earth. And on the cross, Jesus also took the punishment we deserve for our sins. So our debt is paid, our punishment is taken, and when we stand before God, the perfect judge, we stand before him with Jesus' perfect life. His perfect righteousness. And when God looks, not at our life, but at Jesus' righteous life, He is well pleased then to declare us not guilty and perfectly righteous in His eyes. And that is what it means for God to justify us. And then we looked in our next sermon at some of the implications of justification. Most importantly, We talked about how the cross, how this way uh, that God chose to save us honors God by showing that he did not cut corners. He didn't act in any way inconsistent with his holy and just character when he forgave sinners deserving of punishment. We talked about how a good, holy, righteous judge cannot just ignore sin how he must punish evil. And God, of course, did that when he punished Jesus on the cross. As Paul puts it, God was both just and the justifier. He both punished our sins as they deserve, upholding his holiness and justice, and showed mercy and grace to undeserving sinners, extending kindness and compassion, love and grace. 
And as I said now, today we want to look at some of the blessings of justification. Why is justification something we should be so excited about? Why is it so practical and helpful for our daily Christian lives? You may remember we said at the very beginning of this series that this doctrine is not just important to study because it is essential for salvation, for our eternal well-being, but also because it is so key for our spiritual growth and flourishing now. It would be great if we could learn the truth of the doctrine of justification and just immediately live our lives in line with it. But unfortunately, that's not normally the way things work. Unfortunately, it's all too easy in reality to live as if this truth isn't real or if it isn't really as amazing as it is. It's all too easy to not make the connections between this incredible truth and practical day-to-day life. And brothers and sisters, many, many of the problems we have moving forward in the Christian life come from us not really enjoying this doctrine, not really living practically as if it is true. Insecurity, anxiousness, anger, fear, depression, competitiveness, envy, pride, legalism, all of these can often be traced to not really believing the gospel, at least practically in the moment, at least understanding how it meets our day-to-day circumstances, what difference it should make to our day-to-day lives. Often these things can be traced to not really embracing that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. In Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that's where we're going to be today. You can turn there in your Bibles, please. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 2. We see in these verses that Paul begins to make a transition. Therefore, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. So from this point on in Romans chapters 5 to 8, Paul begins to work out some of the most important blessings that flow out of what he's been teaching us about justification in Romans chapters 1 through 4. So again, Romans 5, 1 through 2. We're just going to be looking at two verses today. I said it's 5 through 8. Paul really dives into a lot of these blessings that flow out of justification. Uh, We're obviously not going to be able to get to all of that, but I trust that God will, will use our time in just these two verses here in Romans 5, 1 through 2. It reads, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The key word in this passage is this word rejoice. See it there in the second half of verse 2. It's 
It's actually the same Greek word Paul's already used several times in the book of Romans, in the first few chapters of Romans. Uh, But in those earlier chapters, it's been translated as boast. And the word has to do with rejoicing for sure, but its meaning is bigger and broader than just rejoicing. It's what a person trusts in, what they put their confidence in, what they boast in, what they glory in, you could say. And one reason probably why the translators have chosen to use the word rejoice rather than the word boast in this verse is because boasting tends to carry a negative connotation to us. And in fact, the first two times Paul's used this word in the book of Romans, it has had a negative connotation. So Romans 2.23, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. Romans 3 verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So these passages, of course, are calling us away from boasting in ourselves, away from boasting in our works or our, our heritage or our family pedigree. But the point here. Right? is not that God doesn't want us to have any confidence. It's that He wants us to have confidence in the right thing. God doesn't want you to be confident and certain and to feel secure because of something you think you see in yourself that is not really there. While justification by faith alone means we have no reason to boast in ourselves, it doesn't mean that that in justification by faith, we have no reason to boast at all. Paul's trying to help us see in Romans 5 that one of the greatest blessings God intends us to enjoy as a result of justification by faith alone is, in fact, rock-solid confidence. Rock-solid confidence that He is for us and is for us always. Which is honestly the ultimate, if we really think about it, if we really think about its implications for day-to-day life, this is the ultimate in practical, life-transforming truths. (coughs) If we think of the way we naturally go through life, As we've said in some of our previous sermons, we have such a tendency to think and act according to works righteousness, according to having to justify ourselves by our performance. It's a lot like balancing on a floating log in the middle of a river. You spend your whole life trying to stay afloat on this thing, trying to keep your balance trying to find security for yourself in yourself. It's exhausting. It's like you're on this, um, um, you're constantly trying to to just keep your balance and stay up. There's no stability though, right? This log is constantly spinning. There's no security, there's no rest. You're constantly running in place, And sometimes, while the river is a little bit calmer, 
it maybe is not so hard, you start doing a little bit better, but then you turn a corner, the river starts to speed up, and you find yourself once again desperately grabbing onto anything you think will help you stay upright and not fall in. But with justification by faith alone, it's like God takes you off that log and puts you firmly on solid ground. You can live your life now without constant effort and stress about just keeping your footing, just staying dry. Because you have real reasons for confidence that the God of the universe is for you. In this passage, there are at least three benefits, three blessings of justification that Paul highlights. The first we're going to look at is that we have peace with God. We have peace with God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we mean by peace? Well, first of all, it's, it's the absence of war, the absence of fighting between us and God or between God and us. Who, we who were God's enemies now, because of justification by faith, are no longer His enemies. Now, it's true that some people may feel no need for peace with God. They, they assume that things are fine between them and God because they think of themselves as good people. They feel like things are fine, but their feelings, your feelings, my feelings, as we've talked about already in this series, are no dependable gauge of whether or not we are at peace with God. The fact that God is love, as we've already spoken about, should not be misunderstood as meaning that He is not also holy and righteous and a judge. And as much as we may like to compare ourselves to others and feel quite good, the scripture is very clear. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all His enemies, deserving of His wrath against our sin. Right? And therefore, the reality is, no matter how we feel about this, whether it's something that keeps us up late at night, or something that we never give a second thought to, the reality is that for everyone on this earth, their greatest need is to be at peace with God. Their greatest need is to be at peace with God. And that, of course, is why Jesus came, a big part of why Jesus came. Paul tells us that God put Him forward as a propitiation, right? We, we don't use that word too often, but essentially it means that a way of turning aside God's wrath God's wrath that was aimed at us by taking that wrath on Himself. As He hung on the cross, Jesus bore our sins and He endured the full wrath of God. God held literally nothing back. All His righteous anger against our sin was poured out on Jesus. Which is how He's able 
right? As, we, as we've already said, how he's able to be just and the justifier. How he's able both to punish sin and to forgive sinners. On the cross, Jesus completely paid the awful penalty for our sins. So that God could also extend kindness to us through the complete and total forgiveness of our sins. And this is important. It's important that we realize that when we talk about being justified by faith, it means we've been forgiven all our sins. It's not that we are saying that God decided to simply look the other way, to simply ignore our sins. As we looked at in our last message, that wouldn't actually be good news about God because He wouldn't then be holy and just. He wouldn't have integrity. And it wouldn't be good news about salvation either, really. We may, we may see no problem in just looking the other way. But the, in reality, it's flippant, right? And if God could be so flippant that He could just choose whether or not to take sin seriously in one moment, then he could be flippant again. And the sin that he overlooked, he could now decide to take issue with again. Somebody ignoring or forgetting about a debt that you owe them is very different than when your debt has actually been paid off. Think about that scenario. You owe somebody a lot of money And every time you see them, there's kind of that slightly awkward greeting because you know you should have paid them back months ago. And you just keep hoping they don't bring it up, right? Okay? That situation where you're constantly waiting, like at any moment this person might just be like, hey, so, about that money, right? That's your awkward interaction with them. How different is that where you're just wishing bring it up. How different is that than knowing I paid my debt back? 100%. Completely. It's finished. I am no longer in debt. And thankfully, brothers and sisters, that is how justification works. Our debt has been paid completely. There's not one cent left. And that's why those who've been justified through faith can and should be so confident, they can boast that God has absolutely nothing against them because Jesus has paid their debt and paid it all. The justification of a believer takes place in his life once for all. It is not something repeated over and over like, I have peace today, tomorrow I have no peace. Peace, no peace, peace, no peace. This is something that happens once and has eternal effect. When God justifies a sinner, all the sins of that believer, past, present, and future, are forgiven. The sum total of all the sins that that sinner will commit in his life are blotted out by this one act of God. And that's why Paul can say, right? Since we have been justified by faith, past tense, 
Through the work of Christ on the cross, we have been justified by faith, and now we have peace with God. Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And think about that, right? How, how could there be? How could there be? God Himself is the judge. And He's the one who didn't spare His Son, but gave Him up for us. Who is going to bring a charge into God's courtroom when God Himself has already accepted the righteous life of His Son on your behalf? God has already declared you not guilty. He's already given the verdict. He has already declared you innocent, righteous. Justification by faith gives us reasons for confidence, for boasting, solid reasons. Brothers and sisters, assurance, is not just, assurance of salvation is not just something that you should think of as being a nice thing that some Christians get to enjoy. Every Christian should have assurance of salvation. Every Christian should live their day-to-day salvation, their day-to-day Christian life, out on the solid rock, the firm grounding of full confidence that they have peace with God because Jesus has paid the full penalty, the full debt that they owe once and for all. There is no longer any reason for God to be angry at us. Your debt is paid. The war is over. But amazingly, there's more. There's more to this too. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 5 verse 2. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have obtained access, Paul says. And when the Bible uses this word, it's usually using it to describe the privilege we have now to come into God's presence. For example, Ephesians 2.19. Through Him, we have access to the Father. Here, Paul's using the word slightly differently um, in that he's saying that being justified by faith results in Jesus giving us access into this grace in which we stand. It's unusual. Uh, it's an unusual expression. So let's, let's think about this some together. We stand in grace. We stand in grace. Now, grace, of course, is God's undeserved kindness. Not just when someone is being kind to you when you don't deserve it, but even over and beyond that, uh, being uh, kind to someone who does not... Wait, yeah. It's not just being kind to somebody neutral, right? But being kind to someone who, uh, who does not... Okay, you know what I'm saying, right? How <laughs> do I get tongue-tied there? Uh, let me just read my notes maybe that'll, that'll work it's not just someone being kind to you when you don't deserve it it's someone being kind to you when you deserve the opposite there we go it's not just being nice to a stranger as much as it, as it is sacrificing for an enemy 
And this, of course, is, is so beautifully illustrated, so clearly seen in the cross. God's undeserved kindness in giving us His Son and declaring us righteous even when we are sinners, even when we are His enemies. And this, this way, um, th- th- that may be the beginning, right? But from, from that point onwards, the way God interacts with us, the way God deals with us, can be defined with this one word, grace. It's like grace, grace is, is a room that we live in now. Grace is the air that we breathe. Grace, grace is our reality. Let's work with that picture for a moment. Try and imagine this room, an actual room that you enter into. And the room is called God's grace. God's special, undeserved, loving kindness. It's a place where everything that God, the all-powerful, most wise being in the universe where everything that God does for a person is because He is for them, because He loves them, because He's seeking their very best. Everyone would want to be in that room, of course, right? Everyone would want to be in that room and to to enjoy all those privileges of having the most wise, the most powerful being in the entire universe on their side 100% in every detail. And yet, no matter how we might try to unlock the door to get in, there's only one person who can open that door for us, and that is Jesus. And He does offer to open the door for anyone, rich, poor, high, low, good, bad. Right? So long as they come. Okay, interesting. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, there's a printing problem. Right? So long as they come dependent on Him and Him alone, He opens the door for us. We walk in. And then it's almost like He closes it, closes it again and locks the door behind us. This is now the room where the rest of our lives are lived. We are in grace forever. One translator actually translates this phrase, through whom we have access as a permanent possession into this unmerited favor in which we have been placed permanently. In reality, of course, grace is not a room, right? We're talking here about union with Christ. We're talking about the fact that our union with with Christ changes absolutely everything. And it's all dependent on Him and fully dependent on Him. He's not just the one who opens the door. He is the room itself. Jesus is the grace of God and when you are saved... You're united to Him. You live your life in Him. And God 
forever looks at you as righteous, as his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. And that reality never changes. Once you have been justified, you stand in God's grace. You are justified by faith. You are immersed in God's grace. It's grace and kindness and generosity and closeness that describe our relationship with God forever now. But even though this is the truth, right? It's not uncommon for Christians to still think of God as always looking at them mostly a bit angry or at least a little disappointed, a little bit frustrated or annoyed with you, just barely tolerating you. And of course, if you look at this from one angle where you think about God's holiness, right? Uh, Sorry, guys. Okay, there we go. Um, then, then we 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 think we we think that this is actually logical thinking. This is reasonable thinking. Of course, I, I don't measure up to God, and, and actually, this is this is how I should think if I've got a high view of God. Um, but it doesn't match with the truth of justification, because our performance was never the basis for us being accepted by God in the first place, right? You don't deserve salvation. You never did deserve salvation. You don't deserve it today. You won't deserve it tomorrow. You were given access into the state of grace where God's always looking at you with love and kindness, where He's always for you, where He's always in His sovereignty and providence working all things together for your good, right? You only ever got into that room. You ever only ever were treated that way because of what Jesus did for you. Because God united you to Him. An author named Jerry Bridges wrote a book called The Discipline of Grace. And one of the questions he asks asked in that book um, is, is very super is, is very helpful for evaluating how much we've really understood and embraced the practical implications of justification he says consider two radically different days in your own life okay so think with me in this in, 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 engage uh, in, in thinking through these two possible days The first one is a good day spiritually for you. You get up promptly when your alarm goes off and you have a refreshing and profitable quiet time as you read your Bible and pray. Your plans for the day generally go well and you somehow sense the presence of God with you throughout the day. To top it off, you unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who it seems is truly searching. As you talk with that person, you silently pray for the Holy Spirit to work in their hearts. Now, the second day, however, is just the opposite. You don't get up when your alarm goes off. Instead, you shut it off and you go back to sleep. 
when you finally do get up, it's too late for you to have a quiet time. You hardly gulp down some breakfast and rush off into the day's activities. You get to work a little bit late. Okay? And everything feels just a little bit off. Things generally go a bit wrong all day long. You find yourself a little bit irritable and frustrated. You don't sense, really, God's presence with you through the day. And then that evening, you quite unexpectedly have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is really interested, who is truly searching. Now, if you think about those two days, would you enter into those two gospel-sharing opportunities those two witnessing opportunities, with a different degree of confidence? Would you find it easier to believe on one day that God is going to hear your prayer and answer your prayer? That God's going to use you? What do you think? I think for most of us, right? Most of us here is, 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 good, is a good example of our tendency to live our day-to-day life as if our relationship with God is based on our performance, as if our relationship with God is based on our works. But the reality is that God loves you just as much on the bad day as He does on the good day. God is just as much able to use you and willing to use you on the bad day as He is on the good day. What is it that gives you confidence on a daily basis that God is for you and that you're standing in this room called grace? Think carefully about this, brothers and sisters. Is it your performance? Is it? Is that what you think? um, Is that what you think... uh, gives you access into God's grace, into His kindness, into a relationship with Him. Instead, we should have confidence that God is for us because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul says, through Him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now I know perhaps some of you are wondering, because oftentimes people do, well why then, why? If if God loves me just as much on a good day as He does on a bad day, if I don't actually have to earn any part of my salvation, what then is a motivation to obey God? But saving faith doesn't think that way. Saving faith sees sin as sinful and is broken by it. Saving faith wants to live in a way that honors God. Saving faith trusts that God intends good for us in all the things He commands us. Saving faith reasons if God's attitude towards you is love, and kindness, and goodness, and mercy, and grace, then why, 
Why should we want to disobey Him? If God is good and He wants to bless me and do me good, then I can trust that if He gives me a command, it's because He loves me and knows what is best for me. And brothers and sisters, this, this is where our obedience comes from. This is where our Christian life is lived. Right? It's not out of some desperation to just stay on the spinning log and keep, keep ourselves out of crocodile-infested uh, crocodile river. Right? It's standing firmly on solid ground and knowing that Jesus has put you there and you're just overjoyed and thankful and very, very eager and happy to live your life for Him. Justification by faith means we have peace with God, we stand in God's grace, and thirdly, we hope in the glory of God. We hope in the glory of God. Glory is not a word that we use too often anymore, but in reality, everybody wants it, and they spend their life seeking for it. Glory has to do with worth, being recognized, being seen with value and honor. Uh, in, in actually ties in with how Dumi introduced the, the worship time today, right? We, uh, what, what part of what, what happens with, with glory is when we see something that that, sees, that seems small but is actually great and amazing when we see it for what it really is. That's to do with importance. There's, there's even an element in the New Testament of beauty, of radiance. To be glorious is to shine, to be impressive, to be awe-inspiring. Paul says here that those who've been justified can boast in the hope of it. And as you've, I'm sure, often heard me point out, right, in the Bible, hope is not just wishful thinking. It's not, uh, it's not the situation where you don't know if something's going to happen. Rather, it is looking ahead to something that is certain, that is guaranteed, that we can have full confidence in. It's something we can be excited about and, and can anticipate and plan for and bank on because we know it's going to happen because God has promised it is going to happen. And Paul says here that because of justification by faith, we can have that, that same kind of certainty, confidence, anticipation about glory in our future. And specifically... The glory of God. What specifically does this passage mean by the glory of God though? Well, the Bible speaks of future glory in several ways. And I think most of them are in view in this passage. The first would be that we have the hope of seeing and enjoying God himself. Seeing him in all his glory and not being consumed by it. God the Father doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. And so when we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to see him like we might see one another. He's not, if we've got an idea of some 
old old man sitting on a throne uh, as if that's God. Uh, that's not a helpful way to think. We won't behold God in a physical form. But what we do see is that there's some way in which His beauty radiates out from His perfection. Shines out. Because of our justification by faith, we're going to be able to stand one day in the presence of that absolute beauty. Even though we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Even though that's true, we have the confidence of experiencing the awesome glory of God because of what Jesus has done for us. Now when we see God's glory on full display, full visual display in the Bible, you see even even with beings like the seraphim, the angels that are, are hovering around God constantly, praising Him. That's their job, to be in His presence. Even they have to cover their eyes because they can't look at God fully. Remember when Moses, God's choice servant, asked God to show him his glory. Exodus 33, 18. Moses said, please, show me your glory. And the key said, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Right? And so obviously there's some metaphorical wording going on here, but but God actually hides Moses in like a a cave type, type space in the rocks. And it says God passes by and, and Moses was just able to see his back, but not his face. Okay? So on the one hand, he's not, he's not a physical form, but then uh, this, this language then seems to point to, like, to, to what degree can we see what there is to be seen of, the, of this brilliant light, this glory of God? And, and it wasn't possible. It wasn't possible for Moses to see it full on. And still live. At best he had to be tucked away. And just kind of see the back of God as he passes by. But what do we see in Revelation 22? They will see his face. They will see his face. Because of Jesus. Because of justification by faith. One day, we will see the glory of God in its fullness. You and me, undeserving sinners, will see the glory of God in its fullness. Now, Jesus is God the Son, and we know that He became man, and that He's still living now as both 100% God and 100% man. And so, when we die, we will also get to see Him in His physical form, in His glorified body. We will go, we will be with Him, we will be where He is. We will be with every tribe, tongue, people, and nation around His throne, praising Him.
for the salvation He's given us. But there's also a third component here that, uh, that we have to look forward to. See, because the Bible not only talks about us, about the glory of God, the Bible also talks about God glorifying us. Paul puts it like this in Romans 8, 29 and 30. For, who, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, those he also called. And whom he called, those he also justified. And whom he justified, those he also glorified. And it's interesting in this passage, right? He's talking in the past tense throughout. Those he chose, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And even though glorification is something future, he uses the past tense to describe it. Because in Paul's mind, it is that certain. It is that guaranteed. If you are justified, you will be glorified. You will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. A day is coming when you will not sin anymore. A day is coming when you will love God the way you should. A day is coming when you will be kind and generous and gracious and compassionate like Jesus. God already views us as He views Jesus. And He will complete the work of making us actually like Jesus. He's already declared you righteous because of Jesus. But that is not the end. That's the beginning of what God has planned for us. He's given us grace so that He can give us glory. And brothers and sisters, remember, none of this is based on us. It is so important. That is so key. It's all because of the justification Jesus has accomplished for us. We are undeserving sinners. It's one thing to assume you have peace with God. It's another thing for God to tell you that He's at peace with you because of Jesus. It's one thing to try to be really good and hope that it's enough for God to like you. It's another to be united to God's only begotten Son and to know that He loves you the way that He loves Him. It's one thing to spend your life trying to do impressive things, seeking some sort of glory on your own. It's a completely different thing to have God promise you that He is going to glorify you. And that's the kind of confidence you and I can and should have as a result of justification by faith. If we were justified by works, we couldn't be sure of any of this. Because how can you ever be sure you've done enough or are good enough to keep God loving you? You can't. Well, what Paul is teaching us about justification by faith is that the Holy Spirit can use these truths to give us certainty in the middle of life's many ups and downs. Certainty that God loves us and is for us and always will be because of what Jesus has accomplished and secured for us.
So what about what about the possibility of not being a Christian? Right? Because <laughs> that's where that's where sometimes this gets a little bit sticky. It's it's good to live in an assurance of salvation. But we also need to evaluate ourselves and be sure, be confident that we really are in the faith. It's possible, right? That God is trying to wake you up to the fact that you don't really have a relationship with Him. And there is a place for looking at your life and examining if your confidence is really in Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you are seeking honestly to turn from sin and to follow Him. And if you look and you say, wow, okay, I don't actually have faith. I, I, don't actually, I haven't actually put my confidence in Jesus. I've been trying to earn my salvation, trying to impress God with my religiosity. Then repent and run to Christ, trusting that He will keep His promise. He will save ungodly people like you. He will save people like you who don't deserve salvation if you put your trust in Him. And brothers and sisters, if you do believe the gospel, really believe it. Really believe it in the details of everyday life. Preach it to your hearts. Expect yourself to live in light of it. Get your eyes off yourself and your own performance, remembering that that is not what saves you. It never has been. Get your eyes instead on what God has done for you in Jesus and preach justification by faith to your heart. If God showed His love for you by sending His Son to die for you while you were still a sinner, and He did, then you can and should be confident you have peace with God. You stand in God's grace and you can hope in the glory of God. Amen.